Football on Off the Ball with Sky. Watch Premier League, Women's Super League, Scottish Premiership, and much more live on Sky Sports. And you're very welcome along to this week's episode of the Football Kickoff with Sky. All the football you love in one place across Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports. Make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. Let's get into it. Ronan Mullen is with me in studio. Damien Delaney is on the line. Damien, good morning to you. How are you getting on? Morning, guys. How are you? Uh, Ronan's a Man United fan. I think we're, are we allowed officially? Uh, is here, that, is that, am we allowed? I've been here six years and no managed to keep it under wraps. You have not managed to keep it under wraps. You were delighted last week uh, with, with this. Uh, uh, is it a secret? Oh well, I try, try my best. Damien, did you support anybody as a kid? Are you? Are you... Um, I supported uh, Newcastle in the mid nineties. The the whole Kevin Keegan, Tino Aspria, David Ginola, Les Ferdinand. Uh, that was growing up because I was at that age where you were really influenced by by the magic of it all, and um, and uh, they were my team. Yeah, what a way to fall in love with football. That was like one of the all time great teams to watch. That was incredible. I mean, I, I, I remember exactly the, the 4-3 game and, and, and Keegan being slumped over the advertising hoarding um, and just, the, you know, Darren Peacock or uh, Peacock with the, the long hair and, um, and Philip Albert, you know, right through to, to, to Les Ferdinand. It was just an incredible team. Uh, I can see why you would, would really fall for that. And um, uh, the, the quality of football that they played, the excitement, it did feel like they were going to get over the line. It felt, at one stage, I thought they were going to beat that Man United team to a league title because we didn't realise just how obsessively brilliant Ferguson was at that stage. Yeah, but I mean, like it, it, the whole Kevin Keegan interview, you know, I would love it if we if we beat them. That 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 sticks out as well for me. But I think they were 12 points clear. And Man United did have a couple of games in hand, if I remember correctly, so it wasn't quite... Um, the twelve-point collapse that that maybe it's made out to be, but they still should have got it over the line. But unfortunately, that, that team just couldn't never take a backward step or, or or see a game out. They just went for it full throttle, and um, unfortunately, it fell apart when they came under pressure. We'll talk about the current Newcastle team. They're uh, playing on Sunday against Wolves. The other game on Sunday is Forest against Spurs. But it's a really interesting Saturday slate of games: Southampton versus Manchester United, Liverpool, Bournemouth, and Fulham against Arsenal. Uh, are Manchester United back? Are you feeling confident, Ronan? That there's something good happening here. That the the stirrings of something I don't know well, like Damien would have had some great analysis over the years on the Solskjaer reign and why there were potentially limitations to what was achievable under that template and there were obviously intricacies in the performance on Monday but for all intents and purposes there were some mirrors of what Solskjaer attempted to do against quote unquote superior opposition and sit a little bit deep and use that potent pace on the break and the first goal was actually very well constructed from United. They managed to recycle the ball and that shows a little bit of intuition and also intuition, but also worked on the training ground that they were able to recycle possession like that. But the second goal was quite, you know, um, Manchester United of old. But whether, like tomorrow is going to be a, a case study of whether they can break down a team who were expecting to sit quite deep and flip the roles almost from Monday night and that's why Ten Hag was brought in and it's about time I think he should start implementing some of that stuff. It's going to be very interesting to see exactly what they are. What, what now that the, the dust has settled a little bit on last week, Damien, what do you think is the truth about where Manchester United are at the moment? Um, first of all, Monday night was an, an exceptionally good performance, um, an exceptionally good team performance. I think over the, the last number of years, Man United have had a lot of good performances, big wins, but... They're always kind of based around individual moments of magic or, you know, just the team catching fire. But you could kind of when you 
looked at it a bit more deeper, it was still kind of, you know, built on, on, on matchsticks almost. But I think Monday night was definitely a performance where I thought, oh, that's that's a team performance. All 11, all 11 of them bought into the, the, the high press early on. Liverpool couldn't get out of their own defensive third. Um, the front four were high, they were pressing, they were engaging, they're, 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 they're exact opposite number. So like Sancho and Robertson and Langa and Trent and Rashford with the centre-back who, who was on it. And then you saw the two centre midfield players pushed in on Liverpool's um, two centre midfield players of Jordan Henderson and, and, and Liam Mil- uh, James Milner. And then, of course, the centre-backs pushed right in as well. So it was an, an exceptionally good team performance and they absolutely deserved their 2-0 their um, win. Um I think they can back it up on Saturday. I think that, you know, I always, you know, when a manager cracks the whip, especially early in his reign, and, and by the sounds of it, after the first two games he did, it can go one of two ways. A lot of the players can just kind of go, hmm, not really sure about this, and, and go the other way. And then, you know, the manager just hung out to dry. But he's cracked the whip and he's got a response. He's got a reaction. They bought in, they believed. And it looks like the, the, the playing was over from, from Ten Hag. Um, you know, dropping Ronaldo, dropping Maguire, dropping Shaw, um, send out a message. There were three players that were pretty much undroppable for their entire time that they've been at Manchester United. They always started when they were fit, bar one or two incidents. But um, in, in the main, they they were starters. I think that when you crack the whip and you get response, is a good thing because players then just go, oh, we like this because we just beat Liverpool and everybody loves getting praise. And Man United got an awful lot of praise. So hopefully it's the, the, the kind of eureka moment that Ten Hag was looking for. Uh, and now his word should become gospel and the players will just believe in him. That's what you're hoping. Um, but the fear, of course, is that they drift right back to their old old ways against Southampton. I don't think they will. I think I saw something on Monday night where I thought it looked good. So I think that even you know, with the style of play, they should have enough for Southampton. Can I ask you about Bruno Fernandes? Because there was a, a story out last year, I think it might have been Miguel Delaney, it could have been somebody else who was talking about how there's a view from uh, opposition coaches that he's tactically anarchic, and so therefore yeah. it's very difficult to build stuff around him. And I, I, you could see, you could see why somebody might say that. And yet, in a formation like the one at uh, on Monday night, you can also see how he can do the type of hard running that is required from a forward player who can also play into midfield and who can use the ball well and can use his skill set. So I guess it's kind of emblematic. Like if you, if you think Ten Hag is going to be able to use some of the players who are already there and who clearly have talent but have not been managed properly, then this, like he can make big improvements very quickly. But if he has to get rid of everybody, it's going to take much longer. So that's why I'm interested in your take on, on his performance and what role he I, might I, have. I don't think that hard running was ever Bruno Fernandes' issue. He was always a willing runner. He just did what he wanted. He closed down when he felt like it. You know, last year we saw several times he'd go and close down to centre-backs and his teammates wouldn't be behind him and he'd turn around and he'd be waving his arms. He was, a, I think the, the words I described him over the last couple of years was he's a free spirit, you know, and Solskjaer gave him that creative freedom to go and do what you want. And if you want to close, you close. And that's why he always looked very, very disjointed. Um, and, and, and the concept that I think it's hard to, to build a team around someone like Bruno Fernandes because he is so um, free-spirited is, is, is accurate. Uh, um, you know, I said that a, a number of times over the last year or two. But you need to give him some boundaries and give him some direction and he needs to buy into it. He just can't go on the pitch and press when he feels like it and then complain when his teammates don't press. You know, there has to be triggers for him. But at the same point, you don't want to tie down an, an incredibly creative player. So there's a happy medium or a kind of a limit to what you want to give up Bruno Fernandes he does need boundaries and on Saturday 
or some Monday night, sorry, he certainly looked like he was performing a role within the team in and out of possession. And it wasn't just, I'm going to go on the pitch and do as I, I, I please. Um, so that's what I was talking about, my initial point of, if Bruno Fernandes can get performances while playing within a team structure, they'll stop believing in the manager. Because sometimes when a manager comes in, he tries to put boundaries on a player and he feels like his personal performances aren't aren't kind of what they should be and he's not getting the the numbers or the assists and goals that he, he has been getting. He might kind of just go, no, not for me, I'm just going to keep doing what I want. But now, I think Bruno had a good game in and out of possession. Um, I do think he's still an incredibly infuriating player, even when Liverpool scored and he went after, into the net and got the ball. You know, I think Liverpool players are surprised how nice they were asking from the ball when they would well win the right to put him in the net in the front row of the stand and rip that ball off him. Um, but you know, once he gets that petulant, you know, stuff out of his game, um, I think he'll be a, a tremendous team player moving forward for Man United. And that I think gives Man United fans hope because it's not a full squad reboot. Actually, he does have resources there of good quality mm. players who can compete at the very top level. Yeah, and like. The numbers point is an interesting one because he started like a house on fire on the stat sheet and then once that started to dwindle, people started to point fingers and like his production level has dropped off. But Monday was a classic case in point of no goals, no assists, but he was involved in almost every facet of the game and got to the pitch of it on a human level, which sounds a little bit twee, but like in a game like that where United are in such disarray and at a low ebb, the likes of um, Fernandez and Martinez... Like got to the pitch of it from the get-go and I think that was important as like a, a bedrock for the performance. What did you make of Martinez? Yeah, uh, one of the best centre-back performances I've seen in, in a long time individually. He was incredibly good. I mean, everything that he did, he was just like a one-man wrecking machine. He was getting in the way of everything. He was blocking shots. He was jumping for headers. He was competing. He was performed a, a, a real leadership role for Manchester United. Um, the type of centre-back performance I think that they've they've missed in a long while. It was Vidic-esque, you know, at his peak. Um, so, you know, if he can maintain that, I think he'll go down as one of the all-time greats for United. It's funny you brought up Vidic. If memory serves me right, Vidic was absolutely terrible in his first game or two and then turned into one of the best signings they ever had. It just took him a little while to like, OK, this is need to find my bearings here. I need to... Is Harry Maguire not being in the team one of the reasons why Martinez was also so good? It's like I'm not actually also covering up for I somebody. Think, I've got somebody I trust yeah, beside me. It's the reason that they were so good. But I think Lou Shaw not being in the team either was a huge help. Malasia is um, an extremely mobile left back. I mean, a proper prototypical modern day fullback. You know, he was prepared to stand one on one with Salah and, um, and 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 almost bait Salah and say, "Okay, run him behind because I'm confident I've got the legs to go with you." Um, which means he stopped Salah getting the ball to feed a lot. And then obviously Liverpool, Van Dijk couldn't hit those big switches that he normally hits. Um, but you've got uh, a really, really good centre-back, really, really mobile centre-back. I think the game, I mean, without being too negative on it, and I don't want to be too negative, but the game suited, you know, it was all played on the ground. It was all Man United pressing. You know, you look at the Brentford game, was different. It was back to front balls ball spun down the side so he will face different tests you know this isn't the era de visa where you know nearly every team plays the same way and everyone retains possession of balls on the floor and you never really get tested i think a lot of teams will have watched the the, the brighton and, and and brentford games and thought right how do we expose this manchester united team and you know pumping balls in the box is is, is one way of doing it you know and 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 you know his height has been mentioned, but five one hundred seventy-five centimeters is, is is just under five foot nine, which in reality is five foot eight. 
Um, so he's five foot eight, five foot nine. You know, if, if teams are just flinging balls in the box, um, eventually, you know, he is going to get caught. So maybe that's something that, that teams will do an awful lot more. Goalkeepers like Brighton will, will sling it long an awful lot more. So, you know, it remains to be seen. But his performance on, 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 on Monday night was, was, as I said, one for the ages. He was really was that good. It's been a, a remarkable transfer window in the end if those players stick. So they've got a new left back. Christian Eriksen looks to have found a role and when Casemiro is in the team it'll be a more defined role and and there'll be less experimentation going on with that. He certainly seems to have um, settled in very quickly. You've got a new centre-back and so therefore you don't have the the two English defenders who've been uh, not good over the last while. So he's not doing a bad job so far. Yeah, I mean, and and that's all you're looking for. I mean, nobody's expecting Manchester United to win the league this year. No one's probably expected Man United to finish in the top two or three. If Man United can nip into fourth place and get back in the Champions League, I think that's a successful season for them. And it'll be an incredibly successful season for the manager because, you know, he we're just looking for signs that he's got a handle on what's going on. And he really has picked out the issues and the problems that Man United have suffered for for the last two or three years. And he can't change them all at once. He can't do it in all window. It could be the guts of six transfer windows, which could be three seasons by the time you actually see what Ten Hag is, 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 is about. Remember Jurgen Klopp came in. It took him a long time to unravel the problems of the past and, and get his team in place. It was probably about four or five transfer windows. Um, but you saw signs. There was something building. And, and it's the same with Ten Hag, um, which is why Saturday against Southampton is a huge, huge, huge um, perfor- uh, day for them. That If they can marry that up with the performance on Monday night, get two wins in a row, you know, you can get something moving there. Um, and then January comes along and you can get more signings if they're finished in this window, which I don't think they are by the looks of it. So they could add one or two more. Um, and then January, you could add maybe one or two more and also offload one or two more, um, maybe before the transfer window. And then you'll start seeing the bones of what Eric Ten Hag is trying to do. Um, and I think once fans will see that, they can see the incremental uh, progress that he's looking for, then fans will be happy that they're in the right direction and they're on the way back. And, and they've almost been at their low ebb now and, and the, the long climb back is is, is, is real. Uh, one last question about this before we move on to the, the Liverpool situation. The other side, the flip side of that coin from Monday night. If you're Ten Hag, are you desperately trying to make sure that Ronaldo and Harry Maguire are gone in this window so that they're not around the place and that it's more important almost for the group dynamic that you don't have those like the club captain annoyed not playing and the most legendary player the greatest second greatest player of all time whatever uh, and the, the pouting and the soap opera Ronaldo are you desperate to get them out of the building almost at any price at this stage? Well, that depends. You know, we're hearing a lot of stories that, that Ronaldo's been disruptive. Um, I don't think Harry Maguire would be disruptive. You know, he's still club captain, and I think he doesn't look like the type of guy that would be, you know, upset that he's not playing. He's going to play a lot because Varane isn't the most reliable centre-back, so he's going to get an awful lot of minutes, which is a huge worry for Manchester United because, you know, the beauty of their performance was, was built, I think, on the two centre-backs and the high line that they maintained um, and the pressure they put on Roberto Firmino as opposed to Harry Maguire passing Firmino on to McTominay and then McTominay can't do his job and they said the forwards got and then the whole thing gets all out of shape so I don't think Harry Maguire will be an issue and I don't think they'll be looking to get rid of him because they've just got rid of Eric Bailly you know they will need somebody in the building um, 
Ronaldo might be a different kettle of fish. You know, he doesn't look happy. He hasn't come out and put any of the, the rumors that he wants to leave to bed and said, look, you know, I want to stay. He hasn't. So by the looks of it, Ronaldo will leave or is looking to leave. And that's someone you got to move on because he is such a personality that he could disrupt the whole place. If he's sulking or he walks into meetings and he's not paying attention, he's not training, training properly because he's um, looking for a move. So he could be one that they are looking to, to, to move on before the window, which wouldn't be a terrible thing um, for, for Manchester United, I don't think. Party Sports Person of the Year Award this, this century. We had this last week. Huh? This I'm is not void. What a farce. <laughs> That's the crappiest crappy quiz. OTB AM. Live weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB Sports app. Our um, Twitter users are not yet convinced, Ronan. No, so basically the question today was, did we see enough evidence on Monday that Man United will make the top four this season? And 63% say no. So 37% think they can, but if it's a performance in isolation, which it we, we have to see, like the, the proof will be in the pudding, whether they can back it up. And um, I think the, the the followers here are suggesting not, but I think, um, I think tomorrow mean? they should get the job done. How would you vote on that? I'd say still no. Um, I'm just, I'd be intrigued to see how the midfield dynamic works now with Casemiro. I appreciate he's a world-class signing in the door, but the how it's going to be calibrated. Like there's not a ball player as such in there. I know Ericsson has played there for Inter Milan and played there the other night in a deeper position. But week in, week out, um, it'll be interesting to see how that dynamic plays out. I think. Okay, um, maybe Chelsea are giving people some hope that actually they're not going to automatically be penciled into the top four so there's room there in a way that there wouldn't have been and then I suppose Arsenal have made good to such a frenetic extent from the get-go again um, we need a a bigger bigger uh, sample size of fixtures to really determine that they've had a soft enough start to the season but you have to say they've they've made an impressive start to the season alright next fixture is Liverpool against Bournemouth what's going on at Liverpool Damien? Ooh, interesting. Um, I don't think anyone saw the start of the season coming that they've had. Um, they just seem to be lacking a little bit of motivation, a little bit of concentration from what I see. They look a little bit flat. Um, now, whether that's because, you know, Jurgen Klopp and his fitness team have looked at the, the, the season ahead and, and, and the two or three years that his team has had on the road and they've been very, very, very good for a prolonged period of time. And maybe they've tried to pace themselves. Um, and so the preseason might not have been the most taxing. Maybe that they kind of just look to kind of hit peak form because you've got the World Cup factored into it. Um, so maybe there's something along those lines that maybe he realised that we can't set off at a sprint. Now, we didn't expect him to set off at, at walking pace like they have done. Maybe he just thought that with the opening round of fixtures that they've had, um, that kind of being maybe 70, 70, 85, 85% at it, was enough to keep them and then they'll build it up and, and, and keep it moving and they've just been caught they've just been a little bit flat um, you know you can look an awful lot I, I, that's what I see anyway that, that would be my take on it um, what, what I believe has happened you, know, you can look a little bit deeper and say the, 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 the change of style of play you know I was watching Liverpool against Man United and you know I suppose the Liverpool we all become accustomed to was this heavy metal football wasn't it you know it was just you know, Van Dijk wouldn't have been trying to force balls into Henderson. They would have just slung it over the top. As soon as they saw the two centre-backs as high as what they were, they would have just given Manchester United everything that they they, 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 they offered. And that was, you know, centre-backs are high. So you'd have seen those internal runs from Salah, you know, from the left-back in behind the two centre-backs. Sa- uh, 
uh, Mane, sorry, on the other side with those internal runs, and they would have just kept slinging it. They might not have had any joy from it, but they would have certainly made Manchester United think that you know we can't keep. But Liverpool just kept playing into Manchester United hands, just kept playing into midfield, kept forcing it into Jordan Henderson, who's probably not the most technical number six when you think along the lines of when you compare him to Thiago Alcantara and the same with James Milner you know before the ball would come into Henderson and it would just be slung around the corner first time um, blind pretty much that's what he does an awful lot of um, and I just think they just played it to Manchester United hands um, and I think is that clock moving away from this heavy metal type football when you see the likes of Harvey Elliott Thiago Alcantara um Nunes coming into the team are they now going to be more build up with a focal point of a number nine so um Remains to be seen, but I certainly know that if 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 I was a Liverpool fan, I'd be more than comfortable with with my manager, and that he will figure out the issues that they have very very quickly. Um, and if they had made have made mistakes in pre-season and they haven't worked the players as hard, then I'm pretty sure that'll be rectified. It felt a little bit like they have definitely evolved over the last couple of years with the signing of Thiago, and when he's in the team, they can do something different mm. by trying to keep the ball a bit more often. It almost felt a little bit like they were trying to do that even though they didn't have Thiago in the yeah. team. Like they'd forgotten yeah. that there's another way of playing. We play with Thiago this way, but when we don't have him, we do the other thing. Yeah, I, I think that that's it in a nutshell. And, and the, the three midfield players you have are, are not technically good enough. Even Fabinho, if he started, is technically good enough to take the ball in tight spaces, in traffic, um, and, and, and move it on through the thirds of the pitch and find the little pockets of Firmino, um, you know, but I just, I was a bit disappointed in the first half at Liverpool when they saw that Manchester United had, and there was an atmosphere around Old Trafford, wasn't there, be it because of the, the, the whole Glazer situation, they were, you know, high, they were pressing, there was an energy in the stadium, you could feel it, and sometimes as, as, a, as a player in a way stadium, you can feel that, and you kind of go, you know what, we're not going to offer ourselves up on a, on a silver platter for this, so we're just going to spin them in behind, um, and I just didn't see that really, to be honest, enough of it, um, so, again, these are just minor fixes. Um, maybe not the fitness issue or the, the 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 whatnot, but I'm pretty sure that if Thiago's back and Nunes will be back soon, we'll start seeing Liverpool taking shape. And I wouldn't be overly concerned um, because the others seem to have dropped points as well. So, I have no doubt that the, the midfield three that uh, Klopp fielded on Monday was the, th- the three he figured would give him the best chance to win the game. But you couldn't help but think there's some sort of message being sent there like, I have to feel James Milner here. Like this is this is the best I've got, and I, I appreciate that the Jude Bellingham deal is like a, a long way down the tracks for next summer. But he's looking at his competitors. Even Man City signed Calvin Phillips and put him on the bench. Like, and uh, yeah. that team has needed midfield reinforcements for a while. Because to your point, Thiago's a sensational player, but he's not sensational if he's sitting in the stands. And Naby Keita just hasn't hit the heights that he was pegged for. So, I think Klopp secretly is. Um, I know he's. Publicly, he's making the point that he's happy with what he's got, but if they could get a midfielder in before the deadline, I'd say snap your hand off. Yeah, it's funny because James Milner started the the 6-0 rows, didn't he? Um, So maybe he has a a thing that Milner's energy was enough to get around the pitch, but they just couldn't get past goal. Um, And like, okay, they didn't have the technical midfield players, then why play into them? You know, the message should have been before the game, or maybe Clough just didn't, um, offer United enough respect and he was just uh, going these three are definitely good enough but very very quickly they should have realised this is turning south and with every time Manchester United won the ball it was it was almost reminiscent of Liverpool at Anfield wasn't it 
pressing high up the pitch early on, winning the ball back, get the crowd energised. The, the crowd could feel there was something going on. And once that wall starts, it's very, very hard to, 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 to rein it in. So, um, you know, I suppose it's that issue. And then there's obviously a tactical issue as well, I think. When you're a centre-back and you're playing alongside Trent, and obviously, you know, we know how creative he is and how many assists he has and uh, all that stuff that he brings going forward. What are your main concerns about defending alongside him? Um, well, I, I think, I mean, if anyone thinks that Jurgen Klopp doesn't realise that, that, that Trent leaves holes, but I think he, he's, he's quite happy to let Trent go. Um, but when it's Matip uh, and when Fabinho are playing, they're quite able to, to slide across and minimise the damage. It doesn't get exposed as often. It's just that with Milner, Henderson and Elliot, there wasn't a whole pile. You know, Henderson was drifting over there, but excuse me, he's not a, a, a defensive midfield player as such, or, you know, not as good as Fabinho anyway, or, or Rodri, you know, um, like, and Matip instead of Gomez or Konate has a mobility to go out there as well. So I just think it was exposed, but you can't put the reins on Trent, I don't think. He offers you so much going forward, and Klopp knows that, of course, he's not he's not a world-class defender. That doesn't mean you go and sign Aaron Mambasaka from Man United and go, let's not have anyone and go the complete opposite extreme. No. You know, he's quite happy to, to 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 let him go, and he's quite happy to say that you're going to probably cost us a couple of goals a season. But we live with that. Um, but I think Fabinho and Konate or Matip were the kind of the the, the real misses there. Um, and Trent was trying to do what he does. It's just that the the holes weren't filled or plugged as, as quickly as what they they should have been. What did you make of the very public recriminations between Milner and Van Dijk after the Sancho goal, Damien? I suppose internally, I thought Van Dijk took that very, very well. Um, I think if if one of my teammates was talking <laughs> to me like that, it would have been a different outcome. Um, but I suppose ultimately, um, ultimately, I think Van Dijk took it so well because he realised that he was wrong. You know, um, Milner, um, you know, was busting a gut to stop Sancho getting the shot off with his right foot. And done enough to, to to make him chop back on his on his weaker side. That's his job done, and he's perfectly entitled to expect um, a, a centre back there to be closed out. And Van Dijk just was was nowhere near. To be honest, he was stood in the six yard line, and he couldn't figure it out. Unfortunately, and he's had a slow start to the season too, which contributes to the the, the whole thing that Liverpool are going through. But as I said, I, I fully expect Klopp to iron out whatever issues they have. He'll he, he, he devise a way to play, even with the injuries and suspensions and get Liverpool going and, and, and being the great motivator that, that Klopp is, I'm pretty sure he will um, get Van Dijk into gear because the minute he just doesn't look like he started the season well. No, and there's a World Cup coming up for some of those players too that, um, you know, there's plenty of reason for them to start getting into gear very quickly. This is the football kickoff with Sky. All the football you love in one place across Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sport. That Liverpool Bournemouth game is on Premier Sports at 3 o'clock. The Southampton United game is BT Sport at half 12. And then Fulham Arsenal is on at half past five on Sky Sports. Arsenal's start of the season has been very impressive. Um, mm. what, what do you make of it? Has it just been the quality of opposition or is there something really impressive happening here? Well, well, you still have to go and beat the opposition, you know. I know Rowan said there was a soft start and it was a soft start. But, I mean, how many times have teams had soft starts and, and not started well? Um, so you have to beat what's put in front of you. But there's going to be much bigger tests for Arsenal up the road. That's going to define where their season go. Um, because they're going to come up against a, a, a Liverpool, a Man City or a Chelsea, um, and they're going to go go down after like 15 minutes, these types of situations. And that's when you see what a team is really made of. Have they got the metal then to to kind of consolidate, stay in the game, not let it get away from them, and then slowly claw their way back into it and get a draw out of a game that they really 
would have lost in, in the past. So, um, so far, so good for Arsenal. It's, I won't say it's difficult to judge them. It's not because I think it's brilliant what they've done. You know, they've they've started and done exactly what they needed to do, and they've been pretty emphatic in um, in in their performance as well. They haven't just limped around and kind of got over the line barely. They've been pretty decent in what they've done. Um, but as I said, there'll be bigger tests up the road for Arsenal, and um, that'll be the the, the the kind of the deciding factor for for Arteta and what he's done. Has he instilled the mentality that he's looking for in Arsenal? Has he got the right players in the right positions? Has he got rid of the weak characters who kind of go to pot as soon as the pressure comes on, or if they go one nil down away from home, they just throw the towel in and say, "Oh well, there's always next week." Has he got the mentality right in the team that will? dig in and, and make things difficult for, for 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 the top teams. And it might not be pretty, it might not be pleasing on the eye, but they get a draw away from home against Chelsea and all of a sudden, you know, you're thinking, OK, that's the starting point for them. Why is Gabriel Jesus the second coming of um, whatever? He just looks amazing. Mm. I, 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 my take on Gabriel Jesus is there's nothing better than a player with a point to prove. Um, and he looks seriously motivated. Um, I think it would have hurt from last year being the only number nine in a football club, and the manager chose to play without a number nine. Um, you know, that's I won't say humiliating, but it's not a, a vote of confidence um, if you're the only number nine and you can't get a game. And they're playing with Phil Foden as a false nine. Um, you know, that's obviously Manchester City's um, style. But I think he's gone to Arsenal and he's just said, right, I've been sitting around with all this pent up anger and, and energy for for a number of years. So it's getting unleashed now and in fairness to him, I'm all for it. It's funny, like Tim Vickery was on during the week doing a profile piece on Anthony and the likes of Julian Alvarez in recent weeks and he would have done one for Gabriel Jesus when he arrived in the Premier League and made parallels that the original Ronaldo had made himself, that he saw some of himself in Gabriel Jesus and and we never really saw that at yeah, City for whatever reason um, like you'll recall he, he kind of ousted Aguero from the team initially when he first arrived and then was just reconfigured into a pet bot and never got to flourish in what he's showing now I know again small sample size but in the three games he's he's a human highlight really like he's all over the pitch and, and affecting games so he'll obviously want to get the goal numbers back up to where he sees himself being a number nine that can carry a team into the top four and possibly further and he'll want to be leading the line for Brazil and Qatar no doubt about that either Yeah so he's got a lot to play for All right, uh, Let's talk a little bit about Wolves and Newcastle um, uh, Newcastle's start to the season has been good it's a win and two draws they've got five points and that topsy-turvy game against City was one where you know, in retrospect, maybe they would have been able to batten down the hatches as as the Eddie Howe influence goes on, or may- maybe that's what they're going to be like. I don't know. Maybe maybe we should uh, expect them to score loads and concede loads. But um, how well a job or how good a job has Eddie Howe done to um, manage what is a difficult scenario where everybody expects you to sign every player in the world, and then the players that you do sign, you've got to get them in the team pretty quickly. So, what kind of a job do you think he's doing at the moment? I think um, Eddie Howe and Newcastle as a whole, I suppose, off the pitch, I've been really impressed with Newcastle. Because when you kind of come into the money that they've come into, as you said, we all expect, you know, marquee signings. We all expect wild, you know, salaries. And that's what we all thought was going to happen. You know, a bit like when Manchester City signed Rubinho, um, signings that didn't make sense, but they were like for the good for the profile of the club. And Newcastle so far have resisted all those temptations to to to, to go and splurge and, incre- and then actually saw yesterday I saw that they were, 
in for Isaac, the the, the Swedish striker for 70 million, uh, maybe. But look, whether that turns out to be a good signing or not, uh, I don't know. But I think they've done well and they've not been bullied because I think they've been in for a lot of players. And when you've got the kind of money that they have, a lot of owners and, and football clubs would be like, oh, let's just chuck 25% on the price and see if we can, you know, if Newcastle are desperate for signings, they might actually give it to us. But they've resisted all those temptations and they've kind of maintained what they had and they signed a, a, the right calibre of player. Um, and it looks like that these owners, and I know they took the, the, the director of football from Brighton, who's a very, very experienced director of football, and he's it's his job to identify the talents, but also to keep... Um, keep it sane when it comes to prices um, because I'm pretty sure if they wanted to they could get a bit giddy so from that point of view I've been really impressed with Newcastle um, and on the pitch and Eddie Howe's done a, an incredible job he's 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 putting together a team um, and maintaining the team ethic when you're kind of bringing in a lot of players or when there's huge changes or, or upheaval at a football club um, it can be quite difficult you know players you know are coming in on big money and players have been there aren't quite getting paid what they think they should be getting paid and dressing rooms can can, can disintegrate very very quickly in those types of, of situations so um, he's got a lot on his plate Eddie Howe um, but so far so, go, so good so far so good for him and I think the draw against Manchester City um, last weekend will be will be a huge bonus for them I don't think it's it's by design I'm sure if Eddie Howe was given the opportunity of Declan Rice and James Madison arriving for £200 million tomorrow, he'd probably take them. But secretly, I'd say in his private moments, he's quite happy that they're continuing with this sort of yeah. incremental upward mobility where he's still putting a shape in the team. It's character driven as well. And they're they're going up the league bit by bit. If they brought in a ton of marquee signings, there'd be an expectation like there was on, say, Ranieri in that first Chelsea season where they, they threw the checkbook at it and he was gone by the end of that season. Jose came in, so... I think Eddie Howe, he sees this as a long-term project and it, and it probably will be at this stage. It, that's the thing, though. The, the pressure will come at some point, especially if they start um, spending £70 million on strikers who score a goal in every three or four games. Uh, you know, <laughs> like That would be the... That's what, what are we doing this I, I, I was so proud of Newcastle up until yesterday and then I saw that and I went, oh, no, here we go. They're panicked. <laughs> that may well be the start of it. We'll, we'll see if that deal actually comes off. This is a surprisingly big game for Wolves who have one point after three games this season when we kind of expected Wolves to be in that second or third tier of teams fighting for the last uh, Europa League place is it just a bad start of the season for them or is there something that, I mean the sack race it's yeah, up and running I don't know um, like you say there what we always expect from Wolves I, I never know what to expect from Wolves they're always just kind of there you know and and I suppose some, you know, they always tip away, pick up points, and then they always get a, a, a highlight real win against a big team. And then all of a sudden, you, you glance at the table on a Monday and they're like seventh, and you're going, oh, they've been doing really well. But you never really focus too much on them. Maybe that's just me, and, and, and I don't know why, but um, they always tip away nicely, Wolves, you know. And I suppose, yeah, I, I don't really have any re- major opinions on Wolves, to be honest with you, lads. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> Forest and Spurs is the last one. Forest spending has been out of control. It's it's uh, very interesting to see what they're doing, and yeah. um, sometimes that really works for teams to come up in the first season and the second season is the one where you really need to judge them. So I guess we we wait and see for that one. But what about the job that Spurs are doing? Um, a lot of people complained after the uh, Chelsea game that they weren't really that good and they didn't really deserve the point. But in some ways, that's is that missing the point uh, that Conte is never going to go away. You're in a street fight with him until the 98 minute, and then potentially yeah. afterwards as well. 100%. That was exactly my sentiments after it. Like, you know, people were saying, oh, Spurs were supposed to show up here and play great football and blitz the league. 
that's not what Antonio Conte is about. You know, I love the fact that they just hung in there and got a draw when in reality, you know, they should have been beaten through 4-0. Um, and they rolled their luck a little bit. with a couple of uh, very dodgy decisions um, with the hair pull and the, the, the tackle on Havertz leading up to the goal. But that's what Antonio Conte does. He picks up points when no one expects him to. When they don't play well, he brings a grit to a football team and a toughness and a real, real... Um, attitude and, and 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 I love that about Antonio Conte. Um, you know, and Spurs fans, you know, traditionally Tottenham have always been a, a great footballing um, kind of institution who produced young players like Harry Winks, who were technically incredibly very good. But you kind of go, is there any real steel behind them? And I think he's slowly trying to change that mentality in a football club, um, and he will undoubtedly drag Tottenham forward. And the fans. Tottenham fans want to complain. I don't, I don't think they will, but if Tottenham fans complain that they didn't go to Stamford Bridge and, and blitz Chelsea um, and play great football, then I, I think they're, they're mistaken because that's not what Antonio Conte does. He goes to Chelsea, gets a draw when he shouldn't, and then beats the teams he should beat, like Southampton on the opening day of the season, and they will just be dogs, really, for the year. Yeah, very interesting to see where they finish because they're the ones who you, you can see catapulting into that yeah. top four early and staying there all year and so everybody else is kind of chasing them and it, it, I think it, good chance that Arsenal maintain that too and then all of a sudden who are Man United going to be trying to squeeze out here or, or are they that good? I don't know. This is the thing and there's a sense of belonging about Tottenham now where no more imposter syndrome when you've got Antonio Conte as your front man um, there's an inbuilt confidence there and it's actually a healthy disappointment that they weren't like the Harlem Globetrotters up at Stamford Bridge and had to grind out a result like a like a team that's been there and done that, so and the stadium is spewing off cash. Yeah, and like the the director of football Paratici element of it, obviously fundamental in getting the Benton core deal over the line and Kulisevsky, who've been key players for them. But like Antonio Conte's fingerprints are all over every signing that they've made. Like the profile of player exactly fits everything he's flourished with. Apart from Jed Spence, obviously, he said this isn't my signing. Well, Jed Spence, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, think, that was very weird. I think they just did that for the for the Twitter puns six. Six cents uh, spin-off, but everything else, like you look at Perisic who like Jose Mourinho wants to sign him five years ago and Man United Ed Woodward for his uh, for all his knowledge deemed that Perisic was too old and he's still impacting Premier League games in twenty twenty two. Alright. Well enjoy the weekend's fixtures. My thanks to both of you for being part of the show.